A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, I'd, like and I'd, I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> It's been a really interesting tactical battle, hasn't it? It's a game of chess out there. <laughs> Those were the ominous words of BT's Jake Humphrey oh. at halftime of the Chelsea Arsenal match yesterday. Murphy, you know me, I'm as, I'm, a bi- I'm as big a chess fan as the next guy. Of course. Ever since they brought anal beats in. Yeah. But any time chess gets brought up in the context of a football it's, match, it's, it's not never a good football good. match. No. <laughs> never Thankfully, good. things picked up a little in the second half. And just about everywhere else in the Premier League, the weekend saw goals flying in left, right and mm. centre. The most in a single weekend so far this season. Call me a simple man if you like, but I do enjoy ghouls. Yeah. To chat about now. Given the choice, I will always choose goals over chess. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm watching football and not chess. <laughs> it's you succinctly know? put. Michael Lise of Crystal Palace scored one of the most dramatic ones, a winner deep into injury time at West Ham. And just listen to his post-match interview. You can practically feel the adrenaline coursing through his veins. Just talk us through it. Uh, through what? The goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Wolf passed me the ball. Shot. Scored. <laughs> <laughs> nice and brief, but it, it was a, it was a moment that that captured the game, that won the game. And what's the feeling like when the ball does hit the back of the net? It was a good feeling. Do you feel you deserved it overall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wheels passed me the ball. Shot scored. Yeah, I like it. Football. You know what there is. There, there is. You can go so far into rudeness that it comes across as actually pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, if he'd said four more words, I'd have been God. That was kind of rude. But just that <laughs> level of uh, of uh, n- uh, not reacting to the question is just must be a chess chef's fan. case. Must be a chess fan. If there's one thing Michael Elise dislikes intensely, it's playing any part in dramatic last minute winners, let alone scoring them. Mm. He just likes he likes tactical battles. No, 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 not for me. I'd rather just ninety minutes of. Hard work and effort, noticed only by my manager. <laughs> Thomas Frank showed us, speaking of manager, showed a lot more emotion after a drama-filled two-all draw against Nottingham Forest. Oh, yes, it's a very tough game, <laughs> this game. Now that's more like it. 
That is more like it, Murph. Yeah. That is a, you can picture the visuals there as well. Yeah, Head tilted back. Hair eyes flowing glistening. everywhere. His eyes really glisten, Thomas yeah. Frank. It's one of the yeah. notable physical I think it was Evan Fanning who tweeted... Remember Brentford's first game in the Premier League was the win against Arsenal mm. on a Friday night football. Yeah, and it was amazing. Like it was unbelievable. Going up to all the fans. Yeah, and yeah. The kids, did, like lap it? of honour. Yeah, you know, yeah, after one match. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, Evan tweeted, I really like the look of this Thomas Frank, but can't help but get the feeling that he'll be mired in a handshake, no handshake uh, <laughs> issue inside the next three months. And to be honest, he's managed to keep his kind of starry-eyed uh, optimism no, about the whole Premier it. League yeah. well, listen, they're still in there they're still competing far longer than I thought he would also I like Frank's reaction it's a little closer to the ultimate feeling that only a goal in football can bring some pair of pipes on Gary Neville <laughs> really quite impressive uh, how long ago is that I wonder that's, that's like, a while that is 10 years ago and it's still it's burned into my into my brain. There was a roller coaster of emotions at Ellen Road. Jesse Marsh looked a lot like a manager who was going to be sacked in the first half mm. before his but I I kind of it was one of those ones did he get the Roddy Collins treatment where his ally yeah. on the board said listen Honestly, you're gone I was at half time. Roddy <laughs> yeah. as well watching I watched the matches today too. It was like God, you are in big trouble just here, buddy. Oh, the raining, yeah, everything. Just everything looked bleak mm. about the whole picture, but his Get boys turned it there. all around in glorious fashion against Bournemouth. Southampton's owners have seen one too many goals in yeah. recent times at St Mary's, so they have finally sacked their manager, Ralph Hasenhutl, just before his four-year, and if he didn't quite make it to four years, mm. did Ralph. There's been stories all season that he's going to go, you know, they got rid of all of his assistants. This is a real, this is more of a rugby union style yeah. setup. But I've, I've not, that sometimes happens where, oh, well, okay, to protect the head coach you got to basically get rid of everyone else yeah. and bring in fresh ideas it rarely happens in football it did happen this time and once that had happened it looked like could be curtains for poor Ralph so that's both Nathan Collins and Gavin Bazunu who've moved to Premier League clubs <laughs> and seen their managers sacked before the World Cup <laughs> Oof. not great tough not great Una Emery 3 women for Villa against United look there's a lot to get into today that's what I'm saying in case you're wondering why you have yet to hear from the flame-haired flamethrower of truth himself on today's pod Ken is away on we believe an intensive pre-World Cup training camp for a couple mm. of days he's yeah. buying a he's buying his Panini sticker album today yeah. and he intends to have it entirely filled by yeah, the time yeah, he returns yeah. later fi- this week fine-tuning his thoughts before he travels to Qatar Gavin Cooney is in studio with Jonathan Wilson today Ken will return Jonathan Wilson's not in studio but Jonathan Wilson will be talking to us Ken is going to return for World Service members later this week mm. so if you are signed up you will hear plenty of Ken uh, in the latter part of the week also this week on the World Service we're going to reveal big live show news wait could, it's November on what could that be it's about it's November and our gang's all here Liberty Hall shows <laughs> will return to their rightful spot <laughs> first in December. time in three years mm-hmm. yep wow as always members get it wouldn't be Christmas without a gang's all here Ticket extravaganza. I kind of feel like that, yeah. Members always get first dibs on these tickets. Uh, and so uh, non-members never get a chance to... This tends to happen. It's just another mm. one of the perks I mean, of it's just being signed up to the World Service. So you guys need to listen out over the next couple of days, whoever is already signed up. Non-members can think about becoming a member on secondcaptains.com. Murph, before we go on, the Champions League draw has been made this very morning. I'm going to I'm gonna give you all eight ties on. Yep. Uh, Leipzig against Man City. Uh, Club Brugge against Benfica. Mm-hmm. Liverpool... Against Real Madrid. Oh. AC Milan against Tottenham Hotspur. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt against Napoli. Dortmund against Chelsea. Inter against Porto. PSG against Bayern Munich. Now, on that's an absolute bloody stonker yeah. of a Champions League draw. Yeah, it really is. Just one second. I need the permutations for that as well. Mac and D. Hey. 
Gador in Shakoral. Faye Dunaway. Scotland. Our disgrace to World Sport. So how do the permutations work in this straight knockout? Well, the winners of all the eight ties go through to the quarterfinals so. I'm lost I mean Yabak is out for this one as they always say when things yeah. get remotely complicated <laughs> the winners of the two ties will of progress the ties go through. no well not the winners of the two ties the winners of all the, both ties. Of the eight see ties. it is complicated the winners over the course of both legs of both ties would have been the correct yeah. way to word that well not the winners of the, you, don't, you don't have to win both uh, both ties to progress well just remember we that. are really overcomplicating this yes, there's been are. a tasty Europa League draw made as well Man United against Barcelona yeah. Uh, May I fans Well we should be alright As long as we don't draw Okay we draw Drew Barcelona So there we go But listen At the end of the day You're in the Europa League I mean This is I would say this is not The worst draw mm-hmm. I mean if you lose to Barcelona Grant we, You then progress With the rest of your Football season If you beat Barcelona Well then it means Kind of something You know There's, there's like kind of A fugue state In the Europa League For <laughs> eight months At least you're going to Feel something Connor Murray feels something, Murph. He's emailed in fresh from making his 100th appearance for Ireland. I thought you were going to say he feels injured yeah, after Saturday, which yeah. is what he also does. I think it could be a different Connor Murray. Okay. Who knows? This is an email about the discussion we had last week, which our non-members again wouldn't have heard. Talking about Noel Mooney, the Irish-born chief executive of an Irishman in charge of the Welsh FA. He is, was explaining last week that the Welsh national team is going to be known as Cymru. Soon enough, that's mm-hmm. the Welsh C Y M R U. I'm assured it's pronounced Cymru, but yeah, yeah, it's like a Toyota Camry, but with a U. But uh, so we were talking about what we can call Ireland, given that era sounds a bit patronising. 1980s Des English Lynham, commentator, uh, Euro '88, basically. I know the point has already been. Des Lynham. Yeah, he was a great man for the era. Des well. Lynham was Irish. I know that's what made it so annoying. Poof, I would have thought Marty and others were. Was Des Lynham an era? He but was an era, man. I mean, made the listen, the BBC has, have a, they have a style guide. Yeah. And uh, in, at Euro 88, the style guide said era. Yeah, but it's also correct. Well, we thought it was correct, but we did get emails and saying, well, actually, era is not the... And it it yeah. gets complicated. Yeah. But Connor says, hey, lads, while I know this is all a bit tongue-in-cheek, from an Irish speaker's point of view, I've really no interest in a token gesture surrounding the national team being an Irish just for the sake of it, or because the Welsh are doing it. This is Ireland, where you have a significant portion of the population losing their minds at any hint of Irish Irish language campaigning because a teacher was mean to them or they studied peg in school. We've had people asking the state to just literally spell their names correctly. A fada is important and you have hand-wringing about funding and we don't have the technology and op-eds in national papers saying it's time we just stop the pretense around the language. Welsh on the other hand, has been revived to a huge degree and they are moving towards a fully bilingual population. It's wonderful to see the name change of the national team is just part of that. While we have a thriving Irish-speaking community, there is not the same support from the state and a much worse attitude towards the language from the previously mentioned portion of the country. Until we move past all that baggage and just let Irish speakers live their lives through their language and encourage and grow the language nationally, being called Era or Nashe is fair or whatever else is just pointless and making a show of doing something while doing nothing which we are very great at doing in Ireland, in fairness. Gurv Mahagwiv from Connor. Mm. I felt the pressure there to uh, well, not completely butcher the Irish <laughs> pronunciations as I did the other week. Did I do okay there? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was better. You were just very halting on, but that's, you know, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? Confidence you know, with well, no, you just want to get it right. And that's, that's it's a, it's a noble, noble ambition. Uh, yeah, I mean, era. No, I don't, I don't think, I don't see that as being a particularly good idea. But I, I do kind of find it interesting because I think the like the Irish sporting bodies have a little bit of a like they have a tougher hill to climb in relation to the Irish language than the Welsh do in relation to the Welsh 
language, I think, mm-hmm. because for better or worse, you know, so many GA games happen on TG Cahir, Uh But even notwithstanding that, there is kind of like a, oh, the, if you're an Irish speaker, you're more than likely going to be interested in the GA. And that's like, mm-hmm. you know, a massive generalization. But say in Gaeltacht areas, the GA is much bigger than it is uh, than soccer, rugby are. And like, so any kind of invasion into that, invasion is such a hilarious <laughs> word for me, but any like kind of venture into that uh, space kind of makes it seem like, oh, you're kind of kind of going after that uh, a specific market there, which is like completely ridiculous because like if if you look at, I'd say there, there are probably more really competent Irish speakers in the Leinster rugby squad than there are in a ton of GA inter-county uh, mm-hmm. panels because so many uh, uh, kids in Dublin are now going to Gaelskolna and so I mean it, it's not a cla- like the, any sort of cla- any uh, line that you might draw class wise in relation to competent Irish speaking is you know like that's that's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting topic to get or an interesting conversation to have because f- for many people uh, going to a Gaelskolna is a kind of a it's a it's a class marker. It's a kind of an, an upper class marker uh, in a way that it wa- that absolutely was not twenty yeah. or thirty years ago. So, you know, the, the idea that the soccer team would try and do something like that, I just i i i don't know. I don't. Uh, I understand exactly why they're doing it. And well, the Irish soccer team aren't doing it. We should no, just say no. The Irish yeah. team are doing it. No, it's, it's just we got an email idly speculating on what we would call ourselves. Yes, sorry, we yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it it is just kind of an interesting thing because. The GA have kind of squared away, squared away, squared away the Irish language, uh, you know. In a, it, it's it's and the GA haven't done a whole pile to do that, you know. Like there, there are speeches that will always start with like a couple of words, Osquelga, yeah. which has now become a cliche and almost unne- You know, it's like mm. I don't know why it continues to be that. Like I totally. Uh, like terrible Irish speakers always feel the need to like throw in the couple of lines at the start of every. You know, it's more an under dump. I, I feel their pain. Yeah, it's just it, it. It is. It's kind of an odd one. You know, like I, it was hilarious, right? I uh, was like presenting for a week while you were away earlier in mm-hmm. the year, and I started finishing every podcast. I, know, so for, I, for, I, I don't I know why, but well, I just because Ken, Ken enjoys it so much. Yeah, Ken, Ken was getting a whole lot from it. Yes, uh, and the amount of emails and mess, private messages on Twitter I got saying. You know, you're like it's so brilliant, and you know, like well done. Well, I was like, well, that's, that, that's nice. Well, it is nice, but I mean, it was also like my Irish is terrible mm-hmm. and like barely usable, uh, and I was kind of doing it for a laugh. But also, I, I, but all of our like most the majority of us our Irish is barely usable. This is the this is the issue. Yeah, and I don't. I think I fluent Irish speakers, if they're open minded, will probably allow for that because yeah, 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 yeah. there are genuine confidence issues with the language that a lot of us have funny I don't have a confidence issue with it it's just a (laughs) ability issue (laughs) yeah like basic ability issue that's exactly it all right, let's crack into this chat many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Objection. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against Chelsea. No, you didn't give them a rat's if, chance. If they, if they get through against Chelsea, I, Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, there's yeah, a rat. Rat's chance. Yeah. No, no rat's chance. Camavinga searching for Benzema who hooks it in the goal and back. It's I just don't see it. <laughs> Still, come on. Right? I will not give Real Madrid a rat's against chance. City. Not a rat's chance. Up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality. Here comes Benzema. Sai puts the ball in. I don't know nothing about being a rat. Mr. Hill, you know everything about being a rat. I thought they would lose to PSG. They'd beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They'd beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what about Liverpool then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. Over the course of the last 24 hours, Liverpool have beaten Spurs, been drawn to play Real Madrid yet again in the Champions League, and now reportedly are being put up for sale. This news has just broken since myself and Murph recorded that opening link. It's by David Orenstein of The Athletic, says Liverpool have been put up for sale by Fenway Sports Group. Sale deck has been produced for interested parties. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are assisting the evaluation process. Unclear if deal gets done, but FSG inviting offer. Jonathan Wilson is with us this week. Hey, Jonathan. Hi, how you doing? And the 42's Gavin Cooney is in studio. Gavin, thanks for making it in. No problem at all. What about that news to start with that Liverpool might be up for sale? Is this a surprise? Bit of a bombshell, I think. Mm. Um, Interesting timing, I suppose. Why are FSG selling? Well, we don't know much yet, but you would assume that they feel like now is the time to cash out at the best price because Mm. they were always in it for the investment. So I don't know whether that says more about the state of Liverpool at the moment or the state of the wider game. Obviously, like, you know, FSG, like, they're at risk of missing out on the Champions League for the first time in quite a while and their method of competing with Man City and the other top clubs around Europe was to have run a pretty high wage bill. They mm. may not have spent the same in terms of net spend on transfer fees, etc. But their wage bill, um, at least the declared one, is pretty, cl- I think it's second in the league. I think it's right behind Man City. So, and their pursuit of the Super League seemed mostly down to um, they saw the Super League as a way of finally controlling wages you know the the financial fair play that they cited when they first bought Liverpool back in 2010 was never fully they would say it wasn't properly enforced by UEFA so the Super League well there are 12 clubs that backed the Super League everyone was in it for their own reason I think Liverpool saw it as a way of controlling wages so now that seems to be shot down, certainly for the clubs in England at least. Maybe now FSG think that this is the best time to cash out. The, I invite emails as always from our Liverpool supporting listeners. Um, but it's funny, on, on one side of things, they've brought Jurgen Klopp to the club. They've brought the Premier League back. They've won the Champions League. They've been competitive in the Premier League like every, almost every season. Um, certainly over the last since, since Klopp's arrival, bar one. And yet... They're not exactly universally loved. Obviously, the Super League is a big part of that. Trying to patent the name Liverpool wasn't their best move either. The sense I get is there's mixed feelings about these guys at this stage. And maybe it depends who comes in, I suppose. It's all where you go, maybe we could do it a change. But, you know, 
let's uh, let, let's see where the sales process goes. I what kind of change do you get? You either get, I mean, I don't know if like the Kuwaiti sovereign wealth fund wants to buy into football. There's got to be a few wealth funds left that have yet but, to tap into the Premier But like that's generally where we are now. Like you either yeah. get a, we- um, a, like a sovereign American wealth or, fund yeah. uh, that can afford to lose a load of money in, in chasing these other nation-owned clubs or you get uh, another American investment fund and it would be hard to find one who would do as good a job as FSG did in so many ways. They hired Klopp, they hired a transfer, they put in a transfer structure around him that worked perfectly for years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if Man City weren't around, we'd be talking about Liverpool winning, what, three league titles. You know, they were, very, they were one heroic goalkeeper performance away from winning the Champions League last year. They were one disastrous goalkeeper performance away from winning in 2018 as well. So mm. on the pitch, they've been so successful. They've made they made a few clangers in their early years, all right. But uh, but that's the, you know, if you want to be really successful at that end of football now, you, you have to apportion off your soul, you know, and better the devil you know maybe than the, the devil you don't. And uh, in that kind of roll call of a rogues gallery of potential owners to stay competitive, I thought Liverpool have to say an FSG probably got the best of a bad lot. Jonathan, what do you reckon about this news? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see it as, as not being a reaction to to what Klopp was talking about with, with some clubs not having ceilings. And FSG clearly, you know, as, as anybody who's not a nation state would do, have a ceiling. Um, and I think Gavin's exactly right. I think they the, there's, there's a sort of a, a, a coldness, I think, in that relationship between FSG and Liverpool because I, th- I think anybody who gives it a second thought sees that they're there to make a profit. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're not there because they grew up watching you know, Kane Dalglish and Sammy Lee running about in the early 80s. They're there because they see it as, as something to make money out of. And I think they've done that exceptionally well. Um, but there, there is a limit on what you can do. Uh, and they, I, I guess you, you then ask the question, how how long has this been in the offing? Uh, I don't know how long uh, these, these things take to put together, how... how how many weeks, how many months you'd have to be planning this. Um, but it, you, you assume it's not just a reaction to a few poor results at the beginning of the season, that maybe in the summer they sort of realise that, you know, we've been doing this pretty much as well as it's humanly possible to do it, and it's still not quite enough. Um, and, and in some ways, maybe now isn't the best time to sell, given that the getting in the Champions League no longer looks looks certain given that the possibilities of a Super League have probably waned. Although I'm not sure about that. I mean, if you know, if, if the Super League 3 win that court case against UEFA acting as a monopoly, I, th- I think that might move things uh, or certainly give the, the, the ECA, the European Club Association, more leverage in, in future negotiations with UEFA. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it, it, there must be a sense, unless something's going on in FSG's other businesses that I don't know about, that, that Liverpool have... Yeah, have have reached the end of what they, they they can do. Well, they get one more crack at Real Madrid, certainly under the new owners or under the current owners, I should say, in the last sixteen. Is this a good draw for Liverpool at this point? No, I don't, <laughs> don't think so. They have such a rotten record against them. Yeah. I mean, this is not a revenge mission anymore. This is now a revenge mission on revenge missions. You know, yeah. I think the only weird stat, like the only teams that have knocked Klopp's Liverpool out of Europe have been from Madrid. And the season that they won the Champions League, they won it in Madrid. Uh, Atletico obviously knocked them out just before um, everything shut down for COVID. And all the other seasons were Real Madrid. So they seem to have kind of a, a hex over them. And also Real Madrid, leaving aside all those uh, 
intangibles. Real Madrid lucky much incredibly for the team that has Kroos and Modric still in midfield and Benzema up front do look the fresher, younger and energetic uh, team. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Chaumani and Camavinga, for example, going into the Madrid midfield, those are the kinds of uh, signings that Liverpool should be making and I, I think they were very much interested in Chaumani but were beaten to the punch by Madrid. So, um, the likely, there was a 50-50 chance that Liverpool were going to get a tough draw in either Bayern or Madrid. They might have got Benfica or their annual contractual game against Porto, but uh, in getting Madrid, I, th- I think that's a pretty tough draw. Look, I mean, th- they might be in better nick come February, but uh, from where we're sitting at the moment, I think it's about them. They looked an OK nick though yesterday, Jonathan, didn't they? Yeah, and I think if you're if you're trying to look for positives for Liverpool, I, I'd say there are, there are two obvious ones, maybe three, but two definite ones. So the first is they, they look better against better teams. So, you know, they, they have recently beaten Napoli. Okay, Napoli team, but, you know, who already won five good games and didn't really care about that last one. They've beaten City, they've beaten Tottenham. So their record against better teams is is slightly better. Um, I think, yeah, the, the, the danger of drawing, uh, you know, a Benfica or a Porto is that if you then lose that, that looks far worse. If you go out the last 16 to Real Madrid, well, you know, you lose to Real Madrid, it happens. Um, and then the, the other reason is just, I think this draw, you know, football's sense of humour. Yeah, the one thing that keeps football going is that <laughs> football is this really sort of annoying, mischievous child who just will not quite accept the authority of money. So Florentino Perez last month saying, you know, it's a, it's a disgrace that, that Real Madrid and Liverpool have only met nine times. Mm-hmm. And for football to turn around and go, go, all right, play them again. Play them for the 10th and 11th times. And if they then lose Liverpool, that is hilarious. And I would have great respect for football if that were to happen. Uh, and, and then, you know, to, to just watching the draws today, the fact that Manchester United have got Barcelona, that's also very, very funny. Um, why, is that one, why is that one making you laugh? Just because, <laughs> you know, if you're Barcelona... It's just a great game, isn't it? It's it's, it's sort of um, I I know that the nature of that playoff round is you get good games at, at that level, um, perhaps you know, more even than in the next round when you have you know the, the sort of uh, more sort of tra- traditionally Europa League clubs, if you like. The fact you've got the teams dropping down from Champions League, it it, it sort of it means that there's there's there's, there's often quite well often we only had this this round last year last year and this, but. There's the potential for, for those big clashes is there. But it's just funny that Barcelona, having got quite a difficult draw in the group stage of the Champions League, spent all this money and now they've got to play Manchester United. Yeah, they, they've got a really, really tough game. Um, that, that, that's funny. Uh, and then the fact that PSG, uh, who pretty much in every game in that group stage, just thought, oh, yeah, they're cruising to the top spot. You know, two love against Juventus at half-time in the first game. And then sort of get complacent and fiddle about in the second half and concede. The fact that they, they draw those two games against Benfica, including the one after Mbappe said he wants to leave, or maybe he hasn't said he wants to leave, but there's all the stories about him wanting to leave. And they were clearly unsettled. They don't play particularly well. And then they're, they're wandering through that last group game, thinking they're going to be top of the group. And suddenly Benfica score well, four goals in 20 minutes, whatever it was, away to Maccabi Haifa to nick top spot off them. And the consequences of that little bit of complacency. I mean, one more goal across the entire group stage would have been enough for them. Or even not conceding that goal at the event in that very first game. And the consequences are they have to play Bayern Munich. And that, that's, it's, it's just good. It's funny. Well done, football. 
Poor Bayern. Bayern won every game in a group with uh, with Inter yeah. and Barcelona. That's also funny, right? <laughs> ended up with PSG. Um, no, I'd agree with all that. It's a, it's a and great... And Julian Nagelsmann, right? I mean, Julian Nagelsmann, who, you know, the one sort of question mark about him is that his his European record in big games isn't great. So, yes, Bayern losing to uh, VAR last season. Um, but then, you know, his Leipzig uh, lost to Liverpool the season before that. They lost to to PSG in that one-off game because of COVID, so yeah, he's he's got something to, to prove against PSG as well. So it's it's I just think it's a it's a great draw. I'm 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 happier with the state of football now than I was three hours ago. <laughs> wow, wow, well, that's that's a hell of a draw that it's that it's managed to restore your faith in football there, Jonathan. What about the Liverpool win? I, I want to ask you a question, Gavin. I don't know if you heard Ken last week comparing Darwin Nunes as an all-round forward player and what he brings to the Liverpool team compared with Gabriel Jesus and what he brought to Man City and now brings to Arsenal. We got to see them both almost consecutively yesterday, uh, both contributing in their own ways, both getting, an, well, not an assist technically for Jesus, but he did win the ball. That ended up leading to the corner that Arsenal scored from. How would you compare those two players? Well, they're completely different. Um, Gabriel Jesus generally inflicts chaos on the opposition. Uh, Darwin Nunes inflicts chaos, but we're not sure uh, pre-game <laughs> as to which team will be worst affected by it. Now, I was listening to Ken talking about um, Darwin Nunes' build-up play not being yeah. exactly up to scratch. Um, if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have agreed. Like I felt like Darwin Nunes up to about a fortnight ago was great so long as he could shoot with his first touch. It was after that, if he, if he had to complicate matters, with you know a second touch, I felt he was really beginning to struggle. But he's improved a lot in the last couple of weeks. He's gone out. Uh, he looks a little bit better off the left wing. He's linking play a little bit better. Obviously, he uh, he took a f- he generally just shot with his first couple of uh, involvements against uh, against Spurs. You know, it was a good touch in the penalty area. Probably given too much time to do it. Um, and good layoff for Salah for the first goal. So definitely improving. I think Klopp says he's improving offensively, if not tracking the other way. You could see that Spurs really exploded. He did mention that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That just jumped into my head. Like there. Kind of say, no, we need a bit more. I'm like, it's quite intense. It's an intense league for people to come into, that sort of stuff, which means yeah. you've got to find a way to yeah. work harder. He, do, he does seem, I think Liverpool have bought more potential than they realised, not in the sense that he has a higher ceiling than they thought, but he just has more work to do than perhaps they expected. I know, like, yeah. and I, I remember Ken quoting Diego Torres' kind of amazing lyrical piece on it. Uh, and incredibly mean-spirited piece I have to say but uh, no definitely he seems uh, he seems he's very very raw but I've been quite encouraged by him in the last couple of weeks I thought we were going to get through one Monday podcast without a without a Diego Torres reference but you brought it to us <laughs> no that's alright another contractual obligation Jonathan where would you be on that comparison I mean Gabriel Jesus is clearly the more uh, the slicker more finished product I mean Darwin Nunez fascinates me I I, I it, it it could be that in a year or two we're sort of thinking, well, what were all the doubts about this bloke? He's, you know, he's big and he's strong. He scores these volleys, um, but I, I just find him fascinating to watch at the minute because he, you, you have no idea what, what's 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 going to happen. Uh, and I think the the reason that that you're, you, the tendency is to warm to him is that he doesn't seem to be bothered by it at all. He just keeps going, um, and that's yeah, that's quite that's quite good fun to watch, but. If you're Liverpool and you're thinking, well, we spent 85, million, 85 million quid on this bloke, um, you probably were hoping for something a bit more refined. Um, Gabriel Jesus has had a brilliant season. Uh, I know he hasn't scored for is it seven games now, something like that. I don't think that's anything particularly to worry about. 
Um, well, this is the thing. Yesterday, he, it was a classic Gabriel Jesus performance. He misses a header where it's a diving header and he's afterwards he's given it the, you know, that, oh, I was, I was inches away from scoring. It's like, mm, yeah, but you should have scored. It was, it was For a, a stri- Premier League striker, it was a fairly easy chance. And yet he was so good. He was creating, to use Gavin's phrase there, he was creating a lot of chaos around the Chelsea defence who could barely get the ball cleared for large periods of the the second half, especially. I thought he was... He's obviously, it's, it's obviously a net positive. Just if he could conti- have continued that early season goal scoring form, you'd be talking about the p- probably second best striker in the league. Yeah, but I, I just sort of think that's that's who he is. And, and that's not a surprise that his finishing is not consistent. That's the reason why he's not, uh, you know, that's why he's very, very good rather than being brilliant. And if you're Arsenal, uh, it's probably one of the reasons why you're unlikely to win the league. But you've got that front three who. You know, they've got what fifteen goals between them. I think this season. Um, does it really matter which of three of them scoring? I, I, I'm not sure it does. And mm. he he brings Martinelli in, he brings Saka in, and we were talking in the early weeks of the season that Saka wasn't scoring. Well, well, now he is. So, I, I yes, it's why he's not at the very, very, very highest level. But but we knew that, and he's still playing in a very effective and playing his part in a very effective front line. Mm. I think uh, no I generally agree with that I think Jesus' work his work rate is insane there was a moment yeah. in the first half when Zinchenko went forward and Sterling didn't track him Sterling is usually pretty diligent so I figured looking at that I guess Graham Potter is leaving him, leaving him there just to ex- take a risk and will exploit the space behind Zinchenko and they tried to do that once in the first half and Jesus ended up tracking back and filling the space almost in the halfway line so he's looked excellent uh, he's added so much to that Arsenal team yeah, Chelsea in a bit of bother, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I think with hindsight, you you now realise that uh, Kepper has maybe sort of papered over a few cracks at his brilliant form of the last month or so. You think particularly, I think of that Villa game um, that, that maybe there were the, there were problems there um, that we weren't quite recognising. And I, I think I think they're reasonable enough. I think, I think it's, it's, it's easy to understand why they're there. That if you look at the, the where they were before the sanctions and everything, they had that problem at the back of midfield that uh, Kante and Jorginho, both over 30, both out of contract next June. Um, and I think that's been complicated by the new owners saying they don't want to spend big on on, on contracts for ageing players. They want them to be very, very heavily in, um, incentive-based. Uh, and equally, you know, those two players both sort of think, well, this is my last contract. I, I wouldn't mind sort of three or four years of guaranteed good money. So that that's a, a you know a situation that's dragging on. When Kante's not there, they don't really have a have a ball winner, and that exposes the the centre of defence. I think that's a real problem. I mean, Thiago Silva's been brilliant since he came in what two two summers ago. But in a back two, having a thirty eight year old, he will always be vulnerable if he can be isolated. Whereas with a back three, he's much less likely to get isolated. The game against um, Brighton, even though it was a back three, he, he was repeatedly isolated and it was a big problem for them. And you could see that Brighton had really uh, targeted that. So there's just elements of the squad don't quite fit together. Now, of course, had Fafana been fit, had Koulibaly, uh, I mean, you know, he came back on Wednesday, but you know, he'd had the injury before that. Reese James being out, Chilwell being out. If you have four top-class defenders out, that's going to expose any squad. We've got the issue of centre forward as well. That Lukaku didn't work. Aubameyang is is okay, but he's you know he's clearly a, a short term fix for the problem. So the, the 
the, the issues that were there pre-Abramovich leaving were then probably exacerbated by that sort of three or four month stasis when they couldn't do anything. And let's be generous to Todd Bowley and say it's taking him time to get to grips with football. Uh, and maybe that, that, that process of transition hasn't been as smooth as it might be. But I, I think the squad needs quite a lot of refinement before it will be consistently good. And that's something that that the part is having to deal with. And I think that's what's been exposed, those those two defeats of Brighton and Arsenal. Ralph Hasenhutl, Gavin, is the latest manager to feel the power of Eddie Howe. Hasenhutl sacked today. These reports have been going on for ages that he was going to get sacked. It, seemed, it seems like he was sort of limping on. He had all his coaching staff booted out during the summer. So probably only a matter of time before this happened, wasn't it? Uh, it's just another um, indictment of the lack of patience in modern football. And, you know, you lose 9-0 mm. twice in four years <laughs> and you're out the door. Um, no, I mean... He is a funny one because, in fairness... I, I, he's, he's had I, 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 a we, lifetime we, in that job. Yeah, we, we've covered, we, I've covered him a good few times on Premier Sports and it's always... It feels like he's very highly rated or had been for a mm. long time. Has had a couple of... Some amazing one-off victories against really big teams and has kept them relatively comfortable in terms of relegation battles and so on. But at the same time, heavy defeats. Like there's been fives and sixes as well as the the nine nils. And there's just times he has looked and his team has looked so beleaguered and generally have continued to concede loads. loads. After four seasons, you shouldn't still be conceding loads of goals, especially when we've got Gavin Bazunu in there. Yeah, well, Bazunu, did he make any saves <laughs> yesterday? Um, I suppose there was the one that he kicked away and I think it was offside anyway. Yeah, I... <laughs> I mean, there were some kind of crazy heavy defeats, obviously. Maybe that's um, a, the result of how he plays his football. You know, it's, it's not the traditional, you know, dig in, uh, defend deep and maybe catch someone on the counter-attack. Did he press a little bit higher, which wouldn't be kind of the norm for, for sides whose aim at the start of the season is to avoid relegation. I think he did a reasonable job there. That uh, squad is coaching staff has gutted, his squad has been gutted. You know, mm. it's such a young and inexperienced squad. I think it might be the youngest squad, like average age-wise, using the Premier League this season. Arsenal are kind of second bottom, which is kind of amazing, that they're second youngest. Um, but I think he did okay. I think whoever comes in is going to have a serious job of work to try and keep them up. It looks like... Um, is it Nathan Jones is his name? The who's at who's at Luton? He seems to be the bookies' favourite at the moment. Right. Um but yeah, I I think he did fine. Obviously there's those crazy heavy defeats, but uh I think he did he did pretty well to keep them where they are and I think uh I'd be I'm at the stage where I'd kinda of be surprised to see if they stay up. That win puts Newcastle into third place. Ken's not here today. Is it okay to say that Eddie Howe is doing a very good job as manager of Newcastle? Yeah, no, he he is he's definitely improving every player he's worked with. I mean, Almiron being the obvious example, Joe Linton being another. Almiron, by the way, last night, Almiron had two goals nominated for goal of the month in match of the day two. One of them actually got goal of that amazing volley he scored against Fulham. Then scores another brilliant goal. Yes, it's just absolutely, we talked about him last week, but just it's just insane the players who didn't look like they were mm. of the required quality at all are shooting the lights out for how it is here. I do wonder if Jack Grealish is claiming an assist on each of these Almiron <laughs> goals, you know? It's a way of massaging his numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, clear, look, Eddie has clearly a good coach. He's clearly improved these players, but he wouldn't be third in the league if he didn't have a whole load of Saudi money behind him. I mean, I think what annoys me is not necessarily like how doing a good job 
job, etc. But some of the earnest and po-faced praise of him, how he's going about things in the right way and Eddie is improving things. And like, I don't know, uh, I'm not very excited about it, but he sat down with Jay Comfrey for his uh, right. high performance podcast. Now it does begin with, now hey, Eddie, there's loads of opinions out there, but this podcast is about empathy, not opinions. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I hope they get, they get to the fact that they spent nearly a quarter of a billion pounds in net spend. Um, but yeah, look, I mean... Well, well okay, so what, what okay. I will say, of course, that's all true. They wouldn't be in third place without all that money being spent. But also, could you say a lot of other managers would have spent the same amount of money and not got them as high as third place? Pl- that's, I mean, that's plausible. And they have spent the money well. I mean, I was hoping for, we get about 18 months of Newcastle send, uh, signing like the modern equivalent of, of Robinho, yeah, yeah. whoever that is. Over the top big names. Might actually be Robinho. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he's look, he's clearly done a very good job. Um, but like improving Almiron from one level to another is made easier when you've like a player's got his trip here behind him and Grimaraj in midfield. And OK, we've not seen much of Isaac up front, but he'll be excellent when he gets fit after the World Cup. So no, he's clearly doing a good job. But obviously I have an issue with him being overpraised. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly my feelings that you know, we thought he was probably a very good coach. It turns out he, he is a very good coach, um, but everything is predicated on the spend of a quarter of a billion pounds. Um, yeah, if you, if you want to ignore that, well, yeah, he, he, he has taken players who weren't playing particularly well under Steve Bruce, uh, and now they are playing well. Yeah, I mean, you wonder to what extent that is how being good and being how, to what extent it's him not being Steve Bruce. I think by the end had become a pretty drained figure, um, and obviously didn't go well from at West Brom either. Um, but yeah, he 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 has improved players. He, that's that's clearly true, and he deserves credit for that. And one thing, just Newcastle have been pretty lucky with injuries, relatively wise. I mean, we wondered how the World Cup might affect this season. The first 13, 14 games have definitely been skewed by injuries. I'm not going to say Arsenal. Arsenal have been excellent, but they've been less affected by injuries than. Spurs have had their attack lobotomized. Liverpool have had a lengthy injury list all season. United have had their issues. Mostly, I think it's mostly been Anthony's in United that have been uh, injured, but they have been, you know, those sides have been denuded. Chelsea as well, like really missed wing, the wing backs mm-hmm. in that game against Arsenal. So, um, yeah, that, that is one part of it. A few weeks ago, Jonathan, a lot of people would have thought Jesse Marsh was going to be the next manager to go even before Hasenhutl. And even at halftime the other day, Many might have thought the same thing. Vicky Sparks was doing BBC commentary. said, there are moments that can change a manager's path at a club. And this feels like one of those moments for Jesse Marsh and Leeds United as they overcame Bournemouth after going a couple of goals down early on. Would you agree? Uh, possibly. Um, I, 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 look, the last two weeks, last two wins have been great, not just in terms of the results, but in terms of those are really, you know, as a fan, those are games you will always remember winning with a very late goal at Anfield, coming from 3-1 down to to win in, in, in that atmosphere, okay, it's against Bournemouth, but it, it doesn't really matter who's against. You've you've come from 3-1 down to win 4-3. Uh, Somerville looks like a really good player and he's got this nice habit of scoring very late goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the number of young players they, they had on the pitch and that, that you'd say is a positive sign going forward. Um, but... Yeah, it, he, he at least now I think is guaranteed his job until Boxing Day, which is a good thing. Um, that's not saying too but, much. That's one more no, match, it, basically. Yeah, but it could easily. He could have been gone before the World Cup. Or it could easily Cup. turn yeah. because. But, but I, I know it's. Yeah, you're right. It's one game, but I guess the point is, had they lost to Bournemouth, if you're the Leeds board, you're thinking right. Well, 
we'll 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 spend the World Cup finding somebody to bring in. Yeah. Whereas the, I, I mean, maybe they'll have some distant contingency, but it's not an immediate pressing concern for them. So he's bought himself probably two more games, but actually in reality, probably that translates to half a dozen more games. I, I don't think he can keep on winning games like that. And I think eventually, you know, that, that level of emotion becomes very, very draining. But at the same time, that level of emotion is one of those things that, that can really um, rally a crowd behind a, a manager. And that is probably necessary because I think that's a crowd that had begun, well, as you saw at half time, had begun to turn on him. Yeah, not the only ones. Tottenham were, but there's a lot of booing at halftime going on. But uh, pre- I presume that we- it is funny that Jonathan raises this idea of, and I hadn't thought about it until now, the fact that it's a Winter World Cup, mm. there are a lot of managers that are going to be teetering on the brink. Oh, this is prime. Who will get nudged season. off way more so than usually it's pre season. Everyone assumes their manager has gotten their squad in order and they're either going to have the job for a few more games or not whereas there could be a lot of a lot of jobs lost even during the World Cup as yeah. as boards look and get impressed I by wonder, people over in I wonder is David Moyes beginning to get a little bit nervy oh. oh, sorry I should ask are you getting nervy I on behalf would, I, of David I, I, Moyes I would be getting a small bit yeah because there was a, there, I think there were a few boos after after the defeat of Palace at the weekend and yeah. he did snap or something in his press conference afterwards I just read the quotes but there are a lot of experts out there something like that <laughs> it's just like oh no David like the, the the European campaign was great, but they've been so poor. Um, yeah, so poor in the Premier League. Yeah, Jesse Jesse Marsh looks like a man who's desperately desperately clinging on for the World Cup. I think that these last few results are a pretty flimsy base, but like six points and uh, just like the emotion and the way in which they were achieved are important. Like lean into the chaos. That's mm. what worked for. That's what worked for Bielsa. Quick one on Villa winning their first game 3-1 under Unai Emery against Man United mm. nice start for him yeah unbelievable start and you know Emery's obviously naturally a defensive manager but played two up front and bullied Martinez and uh, Lindelof did Bailey and, and Watkins and passed right through the midfield very often so a bit of a concern for Eric Ten Hag but uh, he had an amazing start brilliant listen Gavin great stuff Jonathan great to chat we'll catch up soon cheers thanks thanks Mel uh, there's a winning mentality see it in their eyes they've got glazed eyes glazed eyes glazed eyes What I said to him at the end, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, I said, are you ready to win a World Cup? Because we're in it to win it. They've got to trust me, I'm taking these guys into battle. Yeah. And I'm doing my own stapling. Look, we're not getting carried away, but we're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. Does a, a struggling salesman start turning up on a bicycle? He turns up in a newer car, Perception. So what becomes of you, my love? Along the way, we're going to have fun. I try and laugh several times a day. <laughs> a sergeant major spends all his time training his men to be killers and, and make sure that they arrive for meetings on time and dressed in the right way. He doesn't polish his own boots. The bosses are panicking. They're going, oh, cut back. Non-negotiable. The way we play football is non-negotiable. With the World Cup now less than two weeks away, keep an eye out for the Argentinian referee, Facundo Teo, who warmed up for the big gig by handing out 10 red cards <laughs> in a domestic game. <laughs> that seems like a lot old. Champions Trophy final after Racing Club infielder Carlos Alcaraz sparked a malay in front of the Boca Junior fans with his match-winning goal celebration. There were already some red cards before this. James Dart tweeted some footage of this. Boca, there were, okay, so there was a red card in normal time. There was another, there were two more red cards at the end of normal time. Okay. 95th minute kind of thing when there was a bit of a fight. Still, that's only three. Yeah. Seven more handed out after this excessive goal celebration <laughs> by our friend 
uh, Alcaraz, who ended up getting sent off himself along with a teammate and five members of the opposition team who were grabbing him by the ear, apparently. <laughs> unhappy with this. Uh, like, you'd have to say the man has a keen sense of what the fans want, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the sort of guy we need conducting the orchestra in Qatar in a couple of weeks on. Thanks, Murph. Garamagadon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can hear all the pods ad-free as a World Service member. Go on to secondcaptains.com to look at doing that. And Second Captains, the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAS Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.